Hello, I'm Matt, and this is Ghostthropology. The show will feature ghost folklore, which includes both well-known stories and small personal encounters, all ultimately unverifiable, but all presented by people as true. I will tell you the story, after which I will discuss the elements of the story that I think are particularly interesting. While I don't know when, where, or how you were listening to this, I hope it's dark outside, as that is the best time for ghost stories. Episode 31, Robert the Doll The story of Robert the Doll is confusing in no small part because there are many different tellings, all of them with mutually exclusive details. So I have no doubt that there will be those who say that I have some of the details wrong, but I make no claim otherwise. It seems that everyone has some of the details wrong. So, here it goes. The story begins in the late 1890s, when the Otto family moved into a large house in Key West, Florida. The Ottos had a young son named Robert Eugene Otto, among the large staff of servants serving in the Otto household was a woman from one of the Caribbean islands, often said to be Jamaica, who served as either the nurse or the nanny for young Robert. This woman fell afoul of Mrs. Otto. The reason why is unclear. Some say that it was inappropriate behavior with family members, others that the woman was caught engaged in a voodoo ritual, and still some say that the Ottos were just generally abusive towards their staff, and this woman was simply an arbitrary target. Regardless, the woman was soon sent away from the home. At some point before the servant woman left, and accounts differ on whether this was before or after she fell out of favor with Mrs. Otto, she gave young Robert a gift of a doll. Some versions claim that the doll contained a crystal made to hold the soul of the woman's deceased son. The doll, dressed in a sailor's outfit and clutching a small stuffed lion, soon became a favorite toy of the child's. Accounts differ on whether or not the boy went by his middle name before he received the doll, but it is clear that after he received the doll, which he named Robert after himself, young Robert Eugene began simply going by the name Gene. He's said to have taken the doll with him to all places, whether at play, at dinner, in bed, or on a trip away from the house. The two were inseparable, and the boy seemed very happy with the doll. It should be noted that some versions of the story reference Robert Eugene as having had a sister who died around this point in time, but I could find no confirming evidence of that. Gradually, things began to change. People in the house began to hear Gene playing with the doll, only to have the voice change to a harsh and insistent tone when it was the doll's voice, which was usually followed by Gene's own voice becoming pleading or frightened. Whenever anyone went to see what Jean was up to, they would find him in a room, cowering in a corner or against the wall, while Robert sat on a chair, on a ledge, or otherwise elevated and facing Jean. Around this time, many of Jean's other toys began to be damaged or mutilated as if vandalized by a truculent Robert. Still, Jean would not allow himself to be separated from Robert. Shortly thereafter, matters got worse. Rooms that nobody had been in were found trashed, clothes were shredded, other objects smashed, and each time, Jean insisted that these had been the actions of Robert. Jean would wake up screaming in the night, and his parents would enter the room to see Jean in bed, furniture knocked over, and Jean insisting that Robert did it. 
It is said that the doll would sometimes emit a high-pitched giggle when others were around, and it is sometimes claimed that members of the household would see Robert move just out of the corner of their eyes. Eventually, the family had had enough. Mr. and Mrs. Otto put Robert in a box and placed him in the attic. There are two different versions of what happened after that. In one version, Robert was forgotten, and life went on in a bit more of a normal fashion. Jane left, established a reputation for himself as an artist, got married, and returned to the house after his parents' death. At this point, he and his wife found Robert in the attic and brought the doll downstairs as part of the decoration for their new home. In this version of the story, Robert was put into the turret room, which Jean was using as a studio. In the other version of the story, Robert was not silent in the attic, but made a good deal of noise and chaos until he was brought down. He was given back to Jean, who continued to live in the house even after his parents' death, becoming an adult, but retaining his attachment to, and fear of, the childhood toy. Jean maintained the turret room as a childhood bedroom, complete with children's decorations and toys, and had a place of honor, either on a special chair or the windowsill, for Robert. Robert continued to mutilate other toys, and apparently to bully Jean, even as Jean became an adult. Jean eventually married, but the marriage soon turned sour due to Jean's insistence on the doll accompanying him at all times, even being given a chair by the couple's bed at night. The couple stayed married, however, because being the first half of the last century, having a spouse in a weird codependent relationship with a bullying toy was not grounds for divorce, or so I am told. Regardless, the two versions of the story merge. Gene and his wife Anne were living in the house, and Robert was also present in the home. The story holds that, during this period, children began to rush past the house for fear of being spotted by or seeing Robert in the house's windows. Children who played near the house or otherwise lingered would see the doll in the window, moving and making threatening gestures. It is claimed that neighbors would report seeing Robert change position in the window or even move from window to window within the house, and the visitors to the lower floors of the house could hear Robert walking in the upper floors. Some tellings say that Anne eventually pushed Jean to lock Robert up in the attic, but that loud noises coming from the attic while the doll was imprisoned there resulted in Anne relenting and allowing Robert back into the downstairs, where the doll would sit in a chair next to Jean as he painted. Jean died in the early 1970s, and Anne, who had always hated the doll, had put it into a box in the attic. The house was abandoned for a time. It was reoccupied a few years later by a couple who had a 10-year-old daughter. On looking through the house, they found Robert in a box in the attic, and he soon became one of their daughter's toys. Again, a child found pleasure in playing with Robert for a time, but before long, the girl began to wake up at night screaming, claiming that Robert had moved around the room. Stories diverge here, but some say that the girl simply became convinced that the doll wanted to kill her. Others say that she claimed to have been attacked by the doll. And in some tellings, it is said that her parents heard her screaming and entered the room, seeing the daughter with a vicious cut and the doll holding a knife from the kitchen. Some of these tellings say that, rather than finding the doll attacking their daughter, the new owners heard giggling in their room late one night and turned on the light to see the doll at the foot of the bed, a kitchen knife in its hand. Regardless, the doll was once again put into the attic, and many stories hold that the doll could be heard walking across the attic at night. In 1994, the doll was donated to the Fort East Martello Museum, and it is now brought to the Key West Museum of Art and History, formerly known as the Old Post Office and Customs House, 
each year around Halloween. It has also been featured at the paranormal convention TAPSCon. People who have viewed the doll claim that the stuffed lion it holds mysteriously changes the hand it is held in, and that to mock the doll or take its photograph without its permission will bring trouble. The trouble may include simple bad luck, or may involve being tormented by a small creature, about the size of a doll, that is only ever glimpsed out of the corner of the eye. Permission to photograph may be obtained by asking the doll, and if it moves its head to the side, permission has been granted. The museum has letters from people asking Robert to lift the curse, suggesting that not enough people know when to leave a freaky-ass doll alone. The auto house itself is said to have been tainted by the doll. Now known as the Artist House, it is a bed and breakfast that serves visitors to Key West. Even without Robert present, mischief occurs, noises are heard, and people are made to feel uneasy. Local legend holds that you can still see Robert's face peering out of the window of the turret room. All of this, however, is just the common versions of the story, and they are only the tip of the Robert Iceberg. If you go searching, looking through the links on this episode's page, or reading any of the print versions of the stories, and looking for online sources about Robert, you will read of even more deaths and mishaps, some truly absurd and others downright chilling. This is a story that has clearly grown and changed over time, and there are too many versions of the tale to cover in a single podcast episode. Stories have also been told that the ghosts of both Jean and Anne have been spotted and even interacted with guests at the artist's house. Anne's ghost is said to be protective and benevolent, and is primarily encountered on the second floor back bedroom. People have also reported encountering the ghost of a little girl in the back stairway of the house. Commentary A lot of people find dolls creepy. Even when they are made to be cute and cuddly, dolls can still come across as creepy. For example, when my daughter was a baby, a relative gave her a doll that was a cloth baby in a pea pod, and my wife found the thing so unnerving to look at that it quickly went into the donations pile. While I did not find it as unnerving as my wife did, seeing a baby pop out of an oversized pea pod was odd, to say the least. Dolls are toys that have a clear appeal to children, allowing them to play act any number of social situations, but are also made to mimic the human form without meeting it, and as a result, some dolls fall into the uncanny valley. They are human-like, but clearly not human, and can be creepy. A rag doll or Cabbage Patch Kid seems harmless, but more realistic-looking dolls can be unintentionally disturbing. And that's before you get into the world of porcelain dolls, which, while often being interesting works of sculpture, can also be quite creepy with their dead-eyed stares and their too-perfect appearance. Dolls have figured heavily into horror fiction from the Twilight Zone to the Child's Play movies, and even the more innocent-looking Raggedy Ann doll is the subject of a ghost story in the form of the allegedly possessed doll known as Annabelle that was placed by Ed and Lorraine Warren into their museum of allegedly supernatural items. In fact, while discussing the subject of this episode with a friend, she reminded me of an urban legend popular with children in the 80s about Cabbage Patch Kids. Allegedly, a small number of them had a box inside that, depending on which version of the legend that you heard, was either a mechanical or electrical device that would activate the doll, or, the one I heard in my hometown, was a device that held the spirit of a demon that would awaken. Either way, the doll would go on to harm and, perhaps kill, the family when the box was activated. The point is, 
Dolls have attracted a lot of attention from writers and been subject to a number of urban legends. Clearly, they creep a fair number of people out. But back to Robert the Doll. There are oh so many things that make this story a wonderful gift to ghost story enthusiasts. First and foremost, it's a damn creepy story. It's scary, unnerving, and makes you think about the nightmare potential of the local toy store. It's a good story to tell when sitting around a fire at night or on late night walks with friends. It is everything that an effective ghost story should be. It is also much more. Let's get into what is actually known about Robert. Not what is said about the doll, nor what is widely believed, but what is actually known. Well, first off, Robert was not made by a Caribbean woman. Robert was, in fact, made by the Steiff Company, a German toy company founded by Richard Steiff, sometimes credited with creating the teddy bear, though there are other companies that lay claim to that as well, a topic outside the scope of this podcast. Anyway, Robert appears to have been made as an advertisement, a large doll placed in a window as a way of attracting the attention of the public and getting them to enter the store to buy smaller, otherwise identical dolls. Robert was purchased by Jean's grandfather, who appears to have been able to buy the larger window display doll both because the line of dolls was being phased out and therefore didn't need continued advertising, and because Jean's grandfather was wealthy and could spend a bit extra on a gift for his grandson. Incidentally, the doll was originally dressed in a jester costume, but was put into the sailor's outfit at the auto home. We know that the doll did, indeed, become a favorite toy of Jean's, and that Jean named the doll using his own, typically disused, first name. We know that Jean did go away for school, but eventually returned, and that his wife came to live in the house with him. We know that Jean was considered an eccentric, and that he apparently had the doll located in places where it was noticed by visitors, who thought this was a bit odd. Dr. Corey Convertito, curator of the Key West Art and Historical Society, explained in an interview with the podcast Monster Talk that stories about the odd happenings at the artist's house first began to circulate in the 1920s, when Gene would have been in his teens and 20s, not during childhood. These stories appear to have become more common after Gene's death in the 1970s, and most of the darker stories regarding the house and the doll appear to have begun circulating around the same time, as other members of Key West High Society seemed to be more open to speaking of Gene's eccentricity. The doll remained in the artist house for another two decades before being donated to the Fort Martello Museum in 1994. The owner of the artist house, who had acquired the doll with the house, felt the museum was a good place for Robert's display. Incidentally, Dr. Convertito mentioned the sons of these owners, but did not mention a daughter, the girl from the most commonly told version of the story. That, of course, doesn't mean that the fellow doesn't have a sister who had bad experiences, but it was something that stood out to me as I listened to the interview. Finally, we know that whether or not Robert has any supernatural powers, he receives letters from people the world over who believe that he has impacted them in some way, or who simply wish to give him their regards. For example, President George W. Bush even sent Robert a letter congratulating him on his 100th birthday, which I suppose means the date when he was purchased. And there are many people who believe that, if you disrespect Robert, he will curse you. The most common version of this holds that those who mock the doll while in its presence, or take photos of the doll without first getting its permission, will suffer bad luck that runs the gamut from minor nuisance to life-threatening situations. As a result, many of the letters that Robert receives are letters of apology, and a selection of those letters, as well as the congratulatory letter from President Bush, are displayed along with Robert at the museum. That is what is known, both the facts and the nature of the claims that circulate. Everything else, including the truth of the claims that circulate, 
is open to question. Now, even if you don't believe in the supernatural, even if you don't buy that the doll was haunted or possessed, you still have the story of a child who was disturbed enough that his imaginary friend became an imaginary bully and tormentor. This story includes both the typical bullying behavior from the doll alter ego and the destruction of property and potentially other violent acts perpetrated by the child against himself. This is the stuff of horror without any supernatural elements. Add to that the fact that, in at least one version of the story, the child never quite grows up, becoming something of a cross between a child and a man, and clinging to a toy that is both a comfort and a curse. Stephen King could have a field day with this one. And really, how could this reading of the situation not be there, with the doll even being named after the boy? If you do believe in the supernatural, then you have a situation where either something initially sweet became corrupted and evil, or where something malevolent arrived in the guise of an innocent toy and showed its evil intent only after worming its way into a child's life. Either way, it's the stuff of nightmares. And then you have all the weird layers of subtext that appear in different versions of the story. For example, it's difficult not to see the variations of the story in which Gene refuses to give up the doll even as he grows into adulthood as stories about the anxiety of growing up and leaving childhood behind. I can relate to this quite well currently. I have a nine-year-old daughter, and she is entering the phase of life where she is growing emotionally and intellectually quite quickly. Many of her friends seem to be in too much of a hurry to grow up. They want to begin hitting the milestones that become with being a tween and then a teenager. But my daughter is more reluctant. She enjoys childhood and is in no hurry to leave it, and I think that, in some ways, the story of Robert the Doll reflects a similar feeling. At the same time, as the world becomes, in many ways, more complex and scary, I often find myself longing for my own childhood and teenage years, where everything had the illusion of simplicity, even if it was just that, an illusion. So I can see where there is an odd appeal to the story of a man who didn't give up his favorite childhood toy, even if it creates a comically weird image. There's an appeal to the idea that you can keep something of that in your life. The story of Robert the Doll also faces the illusion of childhood simplicity and challenges nostalgia at the same time as it feeds into it. The doll is Gene's companion and toy, yes, but also Gene's tormentor, causing him pain and fear, just as many of us faced in our youth. We often are so busy looking through our nostalgia goggles that we fail to see the truth of our early lives, that perhaps we had struggles that we ignore as adults or failed to come to grips with, and that even if we did grow up happy and well-adjusted, there is often darkness in our past that we tend to not want to acknowledge. But there is Robert, the doll-turned-metaphor telling us that there was fear and hardship as well as joy and play. In many versions of the story, Gene locks the doll in the attic at the insistence of his wife, and it's not hard to read gender stereotypes into that. The woman having to take the role of the adult and force her man to put away childish things and grow up? Of course, it all goes horribly wrong, with the doll making noises and engaging in other activities to terrorize the couple. This suggests that maybe the man needs to be allowed his freedom, or there will be consequences. In the story, a toy engages in bad behavior. While the worry in real life is that the man may do anything from throw a tantrum to acting in a more menacing or sinister way to intimidate his wife into submission. The doll being brought back into the main house even suggests that his desires may trump her sense of safety. So yeah, aspects of the story feel like the sort of infantilizing men are just big children crap that always irritates me as a man who is a functioning adult who can do his own laundry and clean up after himself. 
Variations of the story focus on the woman who is incorrectly said to have made the doll and given it to Jean, making a good deal of her origins on a Caribbean island. It is often claimed that she was proficient with voodoo, and that she was dismissed from the household after being caught in the act of a voodoo ritual. Versions of the story that focus on this voodoo angle come in two flavors, both of them interesting. One, those that play up the dark menace of voodoo, and these are typically steeped in a more subtle version of the racism of the early 20th century, focusing on the alien and exotic nature of the woman and her religion. And two, those that focus on the power imbalance between the servants and Mrs. Otto, and indicate that the firing of the servant was a case of racial prejudice and religious intolerance. The first falls within the pattern of stories regarding Caribbean and African American folk magic in general that is well described by Anash Crockett, the lead curator at Canebrake, in an essay that will be cited in the show notes. Crockett describes the use of voodoo and tourism in New Orleans, but much of her discussion seems appropriate here as well. While voodoo is largely a black religion, it is often used by white business owners and politicians as a way to drum up interest in New Orleans as a tourist destination, promising to allow tourists to experience the exotic and dark allure of this dangerous religion. This exists alongside the increasing use of voodoo as a magic source in horror tales that was definitely of African extraction, but otherwise often generic. It served as a sign of peril and also primitiveness, and was never actually an accurate description of voodoo. The stories told of New Orleans voodoo, in essence, used racist beliefs in the magical power of those deemed primitive, in scare quotes, to sell tourism, while also using the same stories to justify crackdowns on Black-owned businesses and cultural establishments. Now, this type of rhetoric began to change with the rise of the civil rights movement in the mid-20th century, but the legacy of this view of voodoo remains. So let's shift from New Orleans to Key West. While Southern Florida is in many ways different from New Orleans, some of the same dynamics are at play in the story. While some versions of the tale hold that the woman was abused or unjustly fired by Jean's father or mother, the end result is the same. The woman uses magic learned through voodoo to animate the doll and to get her revenge through dooming the innocent young boy. For this version of the story to work, the woman has to have made the doll and used voodoo rituals. Germany, where the doll was actually manufactured, has its own occult and supernatural traditions, and they can be put to vile use, much as the Nazis did during the Second World War. And yet, the story of the doll being manufactured in Germany doesn't really have the potential to frighten an American audience the way that the doll being made by a Caribbean woman does. The reason is simple enough. We have not been trained through oral culture and media to fear German folk magic or German industry the way that we have been trained to fear voodoo, despite German folk magic and industry demonstrably having done far more harm to the world. American audiences have an awareness that there is a religion and supernatural tradition called voodoo, and yet have little to no knowledge regarding what truly constitutes that religion. Combined with the history of racial relations in the U.S., it's easy to see how a story gains traction despite pretty clearly being untrue. In the Monster Talk interview, Dr. Convertito explains that the more extravagant or disturbing stories of Robert's doings are usually found in the same sources or coming from the same individuals that claim that the doll was made by a Caribbean servant woman. As we know that the doll was, in fact, made by a well-known German toy maker, we should probably be cautious about accepting some of the spookier stories, as they seem to come with some known nonsense as baggage. Of course, Robert the Doll has become a tourist attraction in Key West, so it is little surprise that the story has been spread and celebrated by local businesses. 
Key West's economy is dependent on tourism. And while it would likely be a busy place without Robert, anything that can drum up further tourist dollars is good for the economy. And for an art and history museum, the presence of Robert the Doll increases the potential range of paying visitors. So it is understandable that they display him, and even appear to provide some support, even if just in the form of photographs and the organization's emblem, to a website dedicated to Robert the Doll. This does, however, bring to mind an argument made by Michelle Hanks in Haunted Heritage. While it is understandable that organizations that are responsible for conveying historic information, such as museums, would make use of their potentially spooky content to draw in more patrons, it also means that they are lending their image to fringe beliefs, even if they try to frame these beliefs as strange. It also means that the museum creates a weird tension where the facts of the region have to contend with the deep weirdness of a living evil doll, which would seem to contradict what we know of reality. I don't blame the museum. They likely need what traffic they can get, but I can't help but notice the weirdness created by a respectable museum trafficking entails quite literally out of the Twilight Zone. And this brings us around to the tales of Robert the doll cursing those who displease him. The typical form of the story, as mentioned earlier, is that people who took Robert's photo without getting permission face bad and sometimes deadly luck. This seems to me to be reminiscent of the people who take rocks home from beaches in Hawaii and then face horrible circumstances as a result. You go on vacation, you forget the rules of everyday life, and you take something, a rock or a photo, that you probably shouldn't, and then you face consequences. Now, the really rational part of my brain says that people who take Robert's photo, or for that matter, take rocks from Hawaii, who have perfectly normal lives afterwards, never try to beg forgiveness, and therefore we never hear from them. The letters to Robert apologizing are likely a very small fragment of the total population who have taken the doll's photos and are looking for something that they can do to improve whatever misfortune they have experienced. They are, in short, apologizing to a doll because they have run out of other things they can do to improve their bad situation. A situation that is more likely than not the result of some combination of random chance and poor decisions and has nothing to do with Robert. That's what the rational part of my brain thinks. There's another part of my brain that remembers living in tourist towns and having to deal with people who couldn't get it through their heads that just because they were on vacation didn't change the fact that those of us who lived in these towns still had to get up in the morning and go to work. That part of my brain wants to think that apologizing to Robert is a sign that perhaps people have realized that they've behaved poorly towards the locals, and as they can't apologize to the city at large, they apologize to Robert. However, I know that isn't what's really going on, as much as I may wish that the more disruptive tourists would see the error of their ways. The other ghost stories related to the artist house are interesting in that they show the ubiquity of beliefs in life continuing after death, and people being attached to particular locations. The idea that Anne especially is a protective spirit in the house seems to tie into the role of the woman as a protective figure, as well as the one who forces the man to grow up, as discussed earlier. The ghost of the young girl is a bit of an enigma, as none of the sources that I consulted indicated a particular origin for her. And, of course, Jean Otto's ghost being present seems a given. It's impossible for an eccentric to leave a haunted house behind and for him not to be said to haunt it. However, the story of Robert the Doll overshadows everything else about the artist's house, and perhaps that is as it should be. Robert is unique, and it would be a shame for him to play second fiddle to ghost stories that fit a more common mold. 
If you have a weird tale, have had a strange experience of your own, or know of a bit of local lore that should get a wider audience, please feel free to contact me at ghostthropology at gmail.com. That's G-H-O-S-T-H-R-O-P-O-L-O-G-Y at gmail. You can find more at kmmamedia.com. Click on the Ghostthropology link and you can find episodes, transcripts, sources, and a link to support us through Patreon. Spooky!